0: Product returns can be a massive headache. So, what can we do to improve that? Welcome to the Circular Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Wheatman, and I started this podcast to help people discover why circular, regenerative, and fair solutions are better for people, planet, and prosperity. Some people think going circular means swapping a few materials or making things a bit more recyclable, but that's nowhere near enough to create a healthy, resilient and zero carbon world where we can all thrive. Many organisations are missing the game-changing potential of going circular. The disruptors in this space are using circular strategies to reimagine how to create value for all their stakeholders. They're doing better with less. We'll hear from those inspiring people who are challenging business as usual and rethinking how we design, make and use everything. You'll find the show notes and links at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to podcast updates, my Circular Insights newsletter and check out my award-winning A Circular Economy Handbook. Hey there, welcome back and thanks for listening. In episode 116, I'm talking to Chuck First, the Chief Marketing Officer for Software Provider Reverse Logics. Reverse Logics is the only end to end, centralized and fully integrated returns management system built specifically for retail, e commerce, manufacturing, and third party logistics organisations. The reverse logistics platform facilitates managers and reports on the entire returns life cycle. When I first worked in logistics back in the late 1980s, for most companies, most of the time, returns were a minor issue. When e-commerce came along starting in the 1990s, product returns began to increase. And over the last few decades, especially as companies have moved towards cheaper products, with less reliable information on sizing for things like clothing, returns have become a major issue for many businesses, for manufacturers and retailers, and for both business to business and business to consumer models. In this episode, Chuck explains how the Reverse Logic software helps companies improve the process for getting products back into the system. Whether that's from e commerce returns, returns of faulty goods, for repairs and warranty claims and more. We'll hear how Reverse Logics improves the customer returns experience, saves employee time with faster workflows, and helps businesses get insights into returns data. All of which improve profits and circular outcomes. Drilling down into the data can shine a light on issues that would otherwise be difficult to spot and can help businesses get on top of those issues before they become major problems. Let's join the conversation with Chuck first. Chuck, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to talking about reverse logics. With my background in supply chain and logistics, I remember plenty of problematic reverse logistics opportunities from my DHL days, particularly as our clients move to more online sales. So can we start by asking how you describe reverse logics when you're telling friends in the in the bar what you do? <laughs> yeah, it's
1: a good, it's good, good intro. And, um, you know, usually in, in talking with people, I, I try to, to relate what we do to more of a, I guess, for most people today, almost an everyday or at least an every week occurrence where Uh, you might be buying something online um, and you might buy multiple items and decide you need to return one or multiple items back to that particular vendor right which is is often the case and so reverse logics helps manage the entire journey of a product return so from a a consumer's perspective: We're all used to, you know, essentially logging into an account from a vendor that we've purchased, right, back into their website, selecting the items we'd like to send back, uh, and then off it goes, right? Either we drop it off somewhere, or you know, we we print out a label and put it on the package and, and drop it in the mail. And so we manage and create that similar experience for a lot of different companies or brands that online returns experience that we're all used to, and that's. Uh, easy and, and frictionless process. So we help companies create a better customer experience on the front end. And then while that return actually makes its way to a destination, which is usually a warehouse somewhere owned by that particular brand, that return needs to be you know inspected. Somebody needs to look at it. They need to figure out, is it new quality or you know, is it second quality and they need to do something else. So we help companies manage the back end of that returns process as well, making it more efficient, giving them kind of guided workflows to uh, make that inspection and verification process uh, more accurate, but also a lot more efficient. So we can scale and help them process more returns Um as they have peak season and, and bulk returns that might come in, and then on top of all that, right? We we collect data and information that helps them uh, hopefully begin to reduce the amount of returns they get by identifying, you know, uh, potential issues with, you know, maybe it's sizing or color representation, or maybe there's manufacturing issues that need to be addressed. But the the ultimate goal is to help them start to to reduce returns that they're getting and make sure that they have happy, loyal customers.
0: Hmm. And are there kind of typical issues that you find when you start working with, with clients in terms of what's going wrong with their existing process?
1: Yeah, there, there definitely are some some thir- certain themes. Um, you know, if you think about from a, a traditional, um, you know, when you think about returns in our own consumer experience, a lot of times we just default to think about, you know, fashion items that we've purchased, right? And a lot of times... Uh, will intentionally order multiple sizes, which is one of the, the you know, key reasons for a lot of returns, right? And so, being able to identify kind of quickly, and even on the back end when things are coming back because of multiple sizing, you know, uh, products that were purchased, most of those coming back are going to be probably new quality, right? Somebody maybe they tried on the first one, it fit great, and they're just sending back the other ones. Um, a lot of times, though, when you get into more complicated products like electronics or things that have gone through a more um, uh, detailed manufacturing process. A lot of the the customers and brands we work with don't know until it's too late, right? They might have some particular item coming back because there's a manufacturing defect. Maybe, you know, a simple example might be a power port on a device, right? And mm. It's frequently coming back to that. And so, uh, without being able to to quickly identify that or be able to look at the data to identify why certain items are coming back, um, oftentimes they're being very. Uh, it's kind of a reaction process. So working with those customers to help them identify that early on, spot trends in the data, and then they can use that information to address things more upstream. Um, and then I think we're starting to get a lot more work with customers that are wanting to be more proactive in terms of how they handle returns where they direct them uh, are there more efficient environmentally friendly ways that they can uh, work with their customers around returns um, you know whether that's you know again i mentioned kind of package list returns is one option right where they mm-hmm. might be incentivized to just bring this uh, particular product to a drop-off location whether that's a, a location that brand owns or they maybe have partnered with somebody is definitely one area and then oftentimes if there's uh, by leveraging that data they can spot trends around you know it might not be economically or environmentally friendly to have this particular product come all the way back to our warehouse can we perhaps uh, incentivize a customer to donate that item uh, mm. so somebody else can use that again right and then give them a credit or just replace the item that they're wanting to to return in the first place.
0: Yeah, because I guess some of the cheap fast fashion, um, you know, the environmental and cost footprint of getting it back can outweigh any gains from selling it again. So, yeah, some and Absolutely. yet another of the um, systemic issues with fast fashion. <laughs> so um, thinking about that, so you've talked a little bit about maybe triaging returns before they're even sent back. Are there any other things that you can help clients do um, you know, before the product is actually um, on its way back.
1: Yeah, definitely from uh, oftentimes we we help um, customers work with their end customers and maybe even doing some, so I mentioned kind of the electronics and things like that, oftentimes we can help their customers troubleshoot, right, so you know, a lot of times there's items that come back and it's no fault found and maybe it was you know, maybe somebody purchased, uh, you know, newer technology, a drone, and it's a little more complex, and they didn't know how to, you know, operate certain features, they thought it was defective, so they sent it back. So can we provide more uh, detailed instructions or helpful FAQs, things like that on the front end within this, you know, returns portal that maybe eliminates that return coming back in the first place. Um, oftentimes, I mentioned kind of uh, more accurate information on the front end if you think of again fast fashion or just fashion in general is the product being represented uh, with detailed information on the website to begin with? right you know are the colors represented well do you have the sizing information um, are you collecting reviews from previous customers that maybe provide more insight into you know hey they look, really like the fit it runs true to size or maybe it runs a little bit large so a lot of things in that regard, that we can help them start to identify ways uh, to eliminate or at least reduce returns in the first place. And then we're enabling more recently a lot of uh, customers that are thinking about re-commerce or resale in terms of taking back secondhand or slightly used products, giving them a second life right mm-hmm. through Um, either, you know, sometimes donating those products, sometimes they're reselling them at a much discounted rate. Um, And there's a lot more interest in secondhand products now. So being able to enable that with a little bit more technology so our customers have more insights into items that maybe are going to have a higher probability for resale versus Mm -hmm. ones that might not. Um, And then also there's a lot of other programs as we think about some unique use cases around just products that companies are wanting to take back so they can manage the uh, end of life or recycling of products. So whether that's clothing, maybe it's shoes, maybe it's electronic items, a lot more companies are being trying to be more forward thinking in terms of, you know, why don't we incentivize our customers to just allow us to take those back. And then we can have a more responsible and and specific way to handle, you know, Mm. are there certain parts that can be reused? How do we recycle things that maybe have more electrical components or materials in them that maybe we just don't want to end up in a landfill somewhere
0: yeah and i'm thinking of um, a shoe brand in the i think they're mainly in the uk they might be international uh, vivo barefoot and they have a revivo or revivo website Mm. and if you send any shoes back they're cleaned up, repaired if necessary, and put back for sale on that on that website, um, you know, with a really accurate description of um, the wear and tear and stuff like that. And just going back to the, you know, the sizing things, I started my career in in the garment industry, and that was when, you know, sizes were really specific and a size 10 in UK terms was was always these dimensions and the. Uh, I'm not quite sure why companies have moved away from that. But then when you think about buying things on eBay, clothes sell quite well on eBay. And often the seller is putting photos on there with a tape measure against it so you can see how long it is from the shoulder to the sleeve and how long the back of the garment is and all the dimensions that you'd need to know. Um, so you can be pretty confident that it's going to be the right fit. And if, if you know... um. Any, anybody in the street can do that <laughs> for what they're selling on right. eBay. Why can't companies manage to do it? It seems a bit, a bit ridiculous, doesn't it, that they hamstring themselves so much with that. So, yeah, yeah I,
1: I agree. I agree for
0: sure. And um, moving on to services to perhaps improve the repair and, and warranty system. Can you give us some examples um, around that?
1: Yeah, so um, we're working with, uh, you know, one of the things that is interesting about the reverse space or returns management space in general is it, it applies to so many more segments and products and industries than people maybe think of. I think we, you know, as we've talked about here uh, in a few different examples, everybody thinks about fashion or clothes or, you know, shoes and things like that. But there's a lot of other products that get returned and have, um Maybe in products that have warranties that need to be repaired, and so you know some of the examples that we're we're working with a customer of ours, uh, Samsonite. So you might know them, the one of the leading luggage brands in the world. Um, and we're working with them around their uh, warranty service and repairs. So uh, luggage um, should last quite a while, right? If it's if it's made well, but oftentimes you know through use, there's just minor things that might need to be repaired. Uh, versus, you know, throwing a a you know piece of luggage away because you know a couple of the wheels went bad or the handle broke off. Well, Samsonite has a very uh, comprehensive warranty and service repair network. So we have enabled them uh, to to manage all of their warranty, uh, service and repairs through a, a network of authorized repair centers that they have, um, both some they own and you know a lot of them are third party repair centers. And, and working with them to streamline that process. So from a customer's perspective, they're able to uh, bring their luggage to a much broader network of locations that are a lot more convenient. Mm-hmm. You know, Oftentimes, it might be a, a store or a um, uh, in a mall just down the street from somebody, and they can bring their luggage there and have it repaired, which is great from a customer experience perspective. And then Samsonite is getting... Uh, visibility into each of those repair centers in terms of what products are coming back, what is needing to be repaired most frequently. Um, you know, is it a wheel? Is it a handle on a certain size style uh, type of luggage? So then they can make decisions more upstream around maybe they are, they need to reinforce something mm. or, you know, make, make some product changes. Uh, so it gives them that level of visibility as well as insight into their customer experience you know how long is it taking to repair a product how quickly are the repair centers turning around a piece of luggage to get back to you so you can go on your next trip so it's really streamlined that whole process for them but also enables them to keep a lot more luggage in use longer um, they're able to swap out her parts and sometimes you know maybe recycle parts that are no longer you know you Mm. being able to be used um, and then just make more like I mentioned upstream decisions around maybe you know certain components just need to be reinforced better so they don't you know need repair more frequently.
0: Yeah I guess it can really help improve future designs can't it as you understand that um, you know now I don't know baggage handling systems have changed and suddenly um, you know, this this wheels getting torn off more easily or or even just, you know, having seen baggage handlers and cringed as our mm. mountain bikes went <laughs> into the hold. Right. Um, kind of, um, you know, just realising that things have just got to be absolutely super robust and if this is failing all the time, what else could we do to make it last longer? So, yeah, that, that sounds, you know, really useful from the customer service and um, just the kind of, you know, the trust and the um the you know the goodwill around that brand uh, i remember somebody who used to work for um barber you know they make um waxed jackets and so on uh, mm. a, a very um well established uk brand and they've always done repairs so if you rip it or the zip goes or anything like that no matter how old the jacket is they'll repair it and um it was somebody who was working there and she told me that whenever they sent the jacket back to the customer, I think it was a, you know, a bag of sweets would be in hidden in the pocket. So just something tiny like that, that just makes the customer think, Oh, that's nice. Um, And just, you know, again, improves the goodwill. So, yeah. And we, we talked a bit at the beginning about, um, you know, when I was at DHL and customers starting to move much more to an online or our clients starting to move to more online order systems and, moving away from from traditional retail and that's when returns really started to go up but what are the recent trends are you seeing that are that's affecting reverse logistics
1: yeah it's it's a very good very good question um, one of the areas that that we've seen grow quite a bit um, you mentioned kind of the consumer um, trends that have been just accelerating for a while right and I think you know more and more Consumers are preferring to buy online, you know, now to the, you know, to the point where it's, you know, groceries and things like that are getting delivered. And so there's, um, you know, that particular experience in, and trend is only continuing to grow. But one of the other areas uh, that's interesting is from a business to business perspective. So you think of, um, you know, large uh, manufacturing brands that might be, you know, maybe manufacturing components. Of, of parts or that mm-hmm. go into a larger product, those types of transactions that used to be very much, um, you know, face-to-face sales or things like that, that is all being, you know, more and more business-to-business transactions are going online via e-commerce. Um, and we're seeing that grow quite a bit. And I think it's a matter of, of convenience. I think it's a spillover of the consumer experience. I think there's also generational uh, impacts there right where we have just you know younger generations coming into these companies that grew up buying most everything online and that's what they're used to and so that's created a little bit more of a complex reverse logistics process um, oftentimes those are it's not parcels it's pallets or truckloads mm. of, of products that are being sold and transacted and, and potentially coming back uh, so there's more of an interest I think for businesses to, to optimize their reverse logistics process. There's more complexity because there tends to be a lot more uh, contracts and claims and things like that involved in that process that need to be kind of automated and kept track of. Um, And additionally, they're looking at just how do we leverage uh, any type of network to eliminate, you know, how far returns need to travel, which Mm -hmm. is one of the big, big issues in terms of the traditional model is as many companies would have perhaps a central distribution center where all product would be shipped out of and all returns would come back to and, you know, if, if you know, for example, if you were buying something and you bought it from a, a, you know, company in North America and you needed to return it right that might have to come all the way back and think about all the different, you know resources hands that have to touch that as well as just the miles traveled and, and all the complexity similarly you know I could buy something and you know if I was in the East Coast and the distribution center was in the west coast right a lot of just unnecessary travel that can be reduced so they're starting to look at more of a network are there partners they can work with uh, more centrally located to a lot of their customers do they have physical storefronts as I mentioned right we've seen other uh, partnerships in place you know amazon partnering with you know kohl's for for companies to drop so a lot more interest in just trying to set up more of a network for returns to centralize things a little bit more re- reduce miles traveled mm-hmm. and then make smarter decisions on you know what happens with that return at that point can it be resold and it doesn't have to travel all the way back to a distribution center right it can maybe go from that uh, partner facility back out to the next customer, right? So thinking through all of those different models um, where it's, hey, companies definitely want to eliminate the waste and costs, but they also want to eliminate um, all of the, uh, I would say, kind of environmental issues associated with returns in terms of mileage, yeah. packaging, handling, all of that is, is becoming more top of mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, because logistics is, you know, can end up being a really big footprint. And I'm just thinking about the need for really good data and preventing fraud, um, you know, because there's always been fraud around um, waste. And I can't remember which one of the one of the really big mining companies in the last week or so um, uncovered a massive fraud across their um, operations where they'd been partnering with some Uh, recyclers Um, and it turned out that a lot of the data was was incorrect so I guess you know if you're going to work with partners I guess then there's this thing of comparing you know is this partner saying that more stuff is only fit for landfill versus the others Um, and if so what you know why would that be? And is do we need to investigate so that you can really kind of um you know keep on top of the, the value of what's coming back and making sure that you are returning as much of that into the back into the system in a you know in a circular way and that somebody's not using the partnership as a means to siphon things off.
1: Right, right, so, yeah. That's definitely an issue and, and you know, we've gone to the extent of working and one of the things that our system or platform can do is is help companies track items like that right down to a very detailed level, a serial number. Mm. That's you know very and and put some validation in that in place right. That helps reduce or at least make it a lot more difficult for um, you know people that are maybe interested in in trying to uh, counterfeit items and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So thinking about the the whole picture. Um, You know, not not just the repairs and the warranties and so on, um, but thinking about all your customers, which industry sectors or types of organization are really getting on board with all all this better management of returns?
1: Yeah, um, we're seeing a lot um, across a a variety of industries. Um, We've talked a little bit about... um, kind of electronics and, and manufactured items. We work with um, you know, a company called Electrolux, which is a huge appliance brand, um, lots of different uh, types of products, right? And they're uh, very interested in forward thinking around how they're, they're managing their return flows. You know, they have a much, um, they have a very broad network in terms of how they sell their products. And a lot of might, you know might be through kind of that B2B example where we might go into a store to buy their product um, versus online as well, or we might want to buy online and then we bring it to a, back to that store. Um, so they've enabled a lot of processes to be able to uh, enable returns from business partners or wholesalers, uh, but also putting in, you know some of those processes I mentioned around, you know, serialization, is it in warranty, out of warranty, what happens Mm. to that product when it's when it's at that wholesaler versus going all the way back there. Um, Shoes is another area we're working with, you know, companies in that, which is a natural, I think, uh, segment that everybody thinks about in terms of returns, but uh, a lot more forward thinking ideas in that space, too, around just you know, how do they reduce the, the amount of returns as well as where those returns go. So there's some newer concepts um, that we're we're seeing, you know, we're not seeing a lot of adoption yet, but at least thinking about in terms of the idea of maybe a peer-to-peer return. So mm-hmm. um, Catherine buys a, a, a sweatshirt, right, and decides that, hey, you know, he didn't like the color and, you know, somebody... Mm-hmm within a few miles or maybe 10 miles of you is looking at buying that same one on that website, Mm. right? Is there some way we could connect those to uh, the return with the purchase? So then we don't have all of that waste as well. So it's very interesting. And some of the examples that we're seeing in that space Um, and electronics is, is very big and that's a growing space as well. Mm. And then kind of a, I would say uh, an area that crosses a couple of different areas is, is, you know, think about medical device and now we're having more, I would say consumer grade medical devices, right, devices that, you know, you or I might buy just that, you know, I want to monitor my blood pressure at home. Mm. So I maybe buy it, you know, and all of a sudden that product needs to be serviced or I need to return it because it was missing a part or something like that. So we're seeing a lot more growth in in segments like that, that maybe aren't as obvious when you think about the reverse Mm. flows.
0: Yeah. Um, And you talked a bit earlier about uh, companies starting to look at offering take back. Are you seeing any examples of companies um, transacting for that? So actually paying money for things coming back and that where that amount might vary, you know, depending on the age of the product and so on. Is there evidence of that yet?
1: Yeah, we're, we're seeing um, some companies start to do that. So we, we touched a little bit on the resale and re-commerce area, which is definitely um, a growing area um, for a lot of companies, not only uh, from a, you know, can we reach a new segment of customers, mm. but also more importantly, I think from the circularity perspective, can we give those products a, a second life and then yeah. incentivize our loyal customers to maybe buy again in, in the same process right? give them credit or some kind of incentive to do that? Uh, one of the interesting examples and in, in very forward thinking organization in terms of um circularity schneider electric they're thinking an enabling process for take back of of end-of-life products to recycle them kind of that recycle example i gave earlier uh, might incentivize you to send back some of the products that you use in Mm. your home maybe that are end of life um, give you maybe credit or you know some type of exchange value for that where they can then turn and, and responsibly dispose of recycle process those items it's very forward thinking you know a lot of items that we might just in the past have thrown away and you know there's no use why would I keep this not sure what to do with it right is it you know is it something you can recycle or not and so oftentimes I think in some of those situations it ends up in the trash versus maybe there's a lot more um parts of that are even components that can be reused and then other items that need to be handled specific ways as well.
0: Mm, yeah, I think we're all, well, businesses are certainly starting to look more closely at the the value of the components in the in the end of life product and um, realizing just how, you know, if somebody else can repair or remanufacture the, your products, then they're creating value, Why why couldn't you? Um, Mm, so um, awareness (laughs) is starting to be raised I think so reverse logistics has only been going a a relatively few years I think Um, so what you know from a business perspective what have you struggled most with in you know trying to shape people's awareness of the opportunities of doing things better
1: yeah it's it's been a bit of an education process to some degree I think um you know, as you noted earlier in your career, this, this was an area that, that you saw and, and mm-hmm. kind of understood that there were some challenges there. And I think it, you know, the returns process or reverse processes existed for, for forever, right? As, you know, as long as products have been shipped and, and shipped out to customers. But so much of the focus over the last, you know, 10 plus years has been on how do we optimize the forward fulfillment and the, this Mm. sale process, right? How do we sell more and how Mm. do we sell more products online? And a lot of the focus has been around that um, and, you know, making that forward fulfillment process smooth and efficient, but not as much attention has been paid to the reverse or the returns process. And I think um, part of that is companies... And a lot of times don't understand how much waste there is, how much it might be costing their business. they mm. you know they've always just said, hey, you know if we're going to sell online, we know we're going to get returns and they just kind of dealt with it. And as long as sales kept growing, nobody was re- really looking too closely at at all the waste and the reverse side of it. And I think we're starting to see that shift um, not only from, Hey, we need to address this from a cost perspective. But I think, you know, we need to make sure we're providing the best customer experience. And now we're having a lot of other macro trends, circularity, um, you know, how do we give products more, more of a usable life? So there's a lot more forces, I think, that are starting to, to cause companies to think about this. But it's very much been an education process from, uh, you know, a company that's in this industry um, looking to, to support customers across a variety of segments, I think, You know, a lot of it is, here's where there is waste, here's how much it could be costing your organization, Mm. here's, you know, technology as well as processes that you can enable to make it a lot more efficient. So we're starting to see a lot more interest in, you know, companies thinking about this. But I think one of the greater, back to your original question, challenge has just been, you know, building awareness and education around Um, you know, this is kind of a cost center for the business, as well Mm. as, you know, there's so much waste here that could be addressed, not only with technology, but with just better ways of of managing it.
0: Yeah, better processes. I guess it's another one of those things. I I think there's a whole list of kind of um, hidden costs that are associated with our take, make, waste model. And I guess, as you know, this is one of them, isn't it, that particularly before online returns were a tiny proportion and so we're just a kind of you know a bit of a blip in the in the uh, the cost you know the perfect mm. perfect sale and the perfect cost model, but then you know as online grew, I think companies haven't really looked back at well what did we used to spend on returns um you know and what are we spending now and look at what that's doing to our bottom line, it, I think it's it, there are just so many things that kind of creep up gradually, maybe over 20 or 30 years, and people don't have long enough memories, just as we saw with um, interest rates, you know, that there were well-established companies, Silicon Valley mm. Bank that couldn't hadn't managed to look back twenty five years to see that interest rates used to be quite a yeah. bit higher than this and we need right. to kind of factor that in. You know, people's memories are, are short. And um so I think you kind of just you know, it's like a the boiling frog, isn't it? That you just kind of get used to um there's a problem here and that problem gets gradually, gradually bigger and nobody really looks at, wow, you know, this is really bad. Look how much money we're we're throwing away. So yeah right. So when you're when you're talking to a business that wants to go more circular, whether it's from the reverse logics perspective or a broader perspective, what's what top tip would you offer them?
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful question. I think a lot of it revolves around, you know, kind of looking at at their own uh, data as much as possible. Right. Which will will tell you a little you a lot of the story in terms of where there's waste right you know what types of uh, products are coming back um how are those products maybe traveling back right do we have you know waste or inefficiencies in that particular area um are there products that we feel uh i would think you know do you have fast moving products or very popular products that you could give a second life to right we've got high demand for this particular product sometimes we're out of stock of it well, what if we could incentivize, you know, a way for customers to return that and bring that back? But I think a lot of it starts with looking at um, your own uh, internal information around, you know, your product catalog, which, you know, what what's happening with returns today, uh, and where are areas that you think you can start to make inroads? Because as you as you think about kind of this whole circular process, it it is quite enormous, and you know, mm. sometimes can be intimidating and you, know, you you know companies you don't have to I guess bite it all off at once right I think you can make incremental progress and that's where we've seen um, success with a lot of companies is you know developing a plan identifying kind of the the areas where they can drive more immediate value and then work you know work towards some of the longer term items but a lot of times it's around you know some of the easy things are around packaging and where you're routing returns, and then thinking about are there items that you can give a second life to? Mm,
0: fantastic, thank you. And from a personal perspective, Chuck, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing overnight to make a better world, what would that mm-hmm.
1: be? That's that's a, a wonderful question. Um, I think we're all used to the convenience around you know buying online, returning all of all of those. I think. Uh, you know, waving a magic wand would be maybe creating, you know, more of a uh, a network of, of partnerships, you know, across mm. uh, a lot of different industry segments, where whether it's, you know, um, recyclers, you know, working with manufacturing companies, you know, to not only develop a process, but put together a network where we can, you know, potentially route and manage returns in that space. Same with you know, fashion items. And so there might be uh, specialty organizations that, you know, know how to recycle or reuse fabrics and things like that. And can we create those types of partnerships? So I think there's so much power in a network and, and putting together the right relationships that I think, you know, if they could create a network of, of partnerships with companies in similar industries to work towards kind of those common goals. I think that would be a uh, Very, very interesting and very helpful for for a lot of the cases we've talked about today.
0: Yeah. And that's got me thinking about a recent episode with Stephen Bethel of Beyond Retro up in Canada, but they're worldwide. And he's trying to go upstream in the fashion um, recycling supply chain, if Mm -hmm. you like, and get enough critical mass of one type of fabric or one type of garment so that you can create a viable resale model, including partnering with Converse to mm. use things like velvet to go into sneakers, um, but being able to do a run of you know thousands of virtually the same product um, all made out of this waste material. So the earlier you can kind of spot that there's all this stuff coming available... And get the information on it, then you can avoid it being damaged on the way back through the supply chain, can't you, and, and recover more of the value from it. So, right. yeah, I think yeah. The, yeah. the whole kind of data and, and uh, transparency thing could be really game changing for, for lots of companies. So, Chuck, is a company or, or a person that you'd recommend as a future guest for the podcast?
1: Um yeah very good there's a, there's a lot of examples right I, you know one one would definitely be uh you know our our founder and CEO Gorov Saran who had you know was kind of a pioneer in thinking about this challenge that we've talked about today uh would be a natural one and then i think you know from a customer and and just even an industry perspective a very forward thinking company you know Schneider Electric in terms mm. of a lot of they're very Uh, advanced in kind of their circularity initiatives and I think they're you know they're fairly well known for a lot of that but just I think having uh, more awareness around you know some of the examples of what they're doing can spark ideas in other organizations right I think that that alone can help um, you know improve some of these processes as well because I think there's just as I mentioned earlier right more education that needs to be done but also just awareness of ways companies are working to address this problem today that, you know, maybe just might spark ideas for other companies as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the aims of the podcast is to try and get people thinking about, you know, if this works in this in this sector or in this country, why couldn't it work here? And I know I've got some Schneider examples in my um, database but I'll mm. I'll um, go off and see what else they they've, they've been up to <laughs> since I last looked. So Chuck how can people find out more and get in touch with you and and uh, see what reverse logics are doing?
1: Yeah, the easiest way is you know reverselogics.com lots of information there just around not only what we're doing but you know different ways that we're working with companies. Uh, also people can find me on LinkedIn at just linkedin.com/chuckfirst. Uh, happy to be uh, a resource or just uh, even just connect with people to, to network and brainstorm ideas in the space as well.
0: Thank you. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. So thank you, Chuck, for opening a window onto the complexities of reverse, reverse logistics. And I look forward to seeing what comes next.
1: Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate the time and, and for also the opportunity.
0: So there you go. Another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. My thanks to our very knowledgeable guest this week, Chuck First of Reverse Logics. Thanks, Chuck, for taking the time out to talk us through the many issues and improvements available for product returns. And thanks also to Mark Murphy for making the interview possible. You can find out more about Chuck First and Reverse Logics and check out all the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, the company I started to help you succeed with circular. You can find information on my talks, workshops, and advice, plus circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info. And you can connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work. And in our everyday lives, buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can do better with less. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. If you're just starting out with the circular economy, why not check out our Getting Started playlist on the podcast homepage? You could also buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out the Interactive Podcast Index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the end. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.